Well, um, it's been a wonderful weekend here with you guys. Uh, we had a great time yesterday with uh, all the parents and grandparents and uh, did some Q&A this morning in the Sunday school time. And then uh, this afternoon, be with all the teenagers, right? Tonight at five o'clock with you guys, right? You're going to be here? I'll be looking for you right here, five o'clock, all right? So um, anyway, and as we're going to be talking about uh, My Wired Life, it'll be a presentation tonight with all the teenagers from your church and other churches about uh, developing a theology of technology for your life as a teenager. And, uh, but we talked a lot about that yesterday and then this afternoon, but we're going to shift gears a little bit and, and talk about something I, I consider a lot more eternal, and that is uh, how do we leave a spiritual legacy in our lives? Uh, not just, not just uh, you know, our life as a parent, but really our lives as teenagers, children, that each one of us, we're going to leave something behind you know, on this earth. I know we're not taking all of our riches with us to glory. And so how do we leave a spiritual legacy behind? Because the reality is we don't know how much time we have, do we? I mean, I, 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 if I were to come back a year from now, and visit you again, the reality is that there are some of us that may not be here. I mean, some of you probably feel like you're here on borrowed time already, yes? You know, and so you're saying, I'm just glad to make it up this morning, made it to church, you know? So, um, you know, none of us know how much time we have. We were on a family vacation a couple of years ago, and uh, we, were, we were in the van. My wife and I were talking about the next phase in our life. We're empty nesters now. I'm older than I look, and uh, we're empty nesters. And, uh, but my kids were in high school then, and they were in the back seat. We were having what we thought was kind of a private conversation in the front because, you know, they had their headphones on. And, uh, and I said, so what do you think God has in store for us, you know, the next half of our life, you know, once our kids are gone? And we start talking about different ideas of what we may do and where we may travel and where we're going to move to. And my daughter took her headphones off and she goes, what do you mean next half? You're 48. How long do you think you're going to live? Like, you, you guys are awful. Like, we feed you, we clothe you, and you just throw us under the bus. But she's right, you know, I mean, I, we don't know how much time we have, do we? And I, I think we, we live as if we have all the time in the world, though, and the reality is it's such a short window of time that we have to maximize our, our spiritual influence in the lives of our kids. And, you know, I, I just decided a long time ago, before we ever had kids, you know, I decided that my answer is going to be yes. That God, whatever you ask, I just want to say yes. I, I don't want to be so encumbered with things, so encumbered with career or, or, or roots in a community or, 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 or relationships that I can't say yes to you. I, I don't want all the things that I've bought and acquired in my life to somehow get in the way of being able to just to say yes. That if you say, I've got another adventure for you, I just want to say yes. And then our kids came along and I decided that I want to be a yes dad. Now, when I say a yes, dad, some of you think that means like when your kids come to you and say, can you buy me a new phone? Can I have a new car? And the answer is yes. And that's not what I mean at all. What I mean by being a yes, dad, is that, that when my kids come to me and say, hey, dad, can, can I just spend some time with you? Yes. Hey, dad, can I talk with you? Yes. Hey, dad, do you have a few minutes? Yes. That I don't want to let all these other things in my life distract me from just a few minutes with my kids. Because we, we, we don't have, I mean, our, our, I mentioned this yesterday to you parents that every day that we live with our children, our window of influence is shortening. Yes? And so with whatever time that we have, I, I just want to say yes to God and yes to my kids and my family. And, you know, there's, there's one of our, our, our forefathers of the faith that I believe was having maybe one of those crisis moments where he's realizing his own mortality as well. 
And, and uh, we, we see his story in the Old Testament. We're going to look at it this morning. It starts off, uh, he, he has been faithfully leading God's people for 40 plus years through this whole wilderness experience. Now see, immediately when I said that, some of you know who I'm referring to because you're a professional Christian like me. You've grown up in church your whole life, right? And so I mentioned the wilderness in 40 years and you're like, oh, I know this story. And so Kyle, what do you do? You just shut your brain off, right? Because you're like, I know where this story's going. And so what I'm gonna ask this morning is those of you that know the story, maybe we just keep our brains awake and our hearts alert because just the Holy Spirit may have something different he wants to say to us this morning, right? Do you guys acknowledge the Holy Spirit in your church? So just maybe he wants to say something different to us this morning morning that we didn't know in the story. Does that make sense? Are you with me? Okay. I, I talked really fast too, by the way. So are you keeping up? Okay, good. So um, anyway, he's been leading God's people for 40 plus years. And then, uh, you know, what happened was he went to this guy named Pharaoh and said, let God's people go nine times. And he was like, no, no, no. And on the 10th time, he said, you guys get on out of here. And then they went to the Red Sea and they thought they're going to die. And he raised his staff and guys split the sea and they went across on dry land. But then when they got across on dry land, they didn't worship God. They didn't serve God. And the reason why is because they forgot who God was. So God said, okay, time out, plan B. Plan B is, B is gonna be this. We're gonna let you parents and grandparents die. And then we're gonna raise up this next generation for 40 years. And we're gonna relearn this whole thing about you knowing me and trusting me and serving me. So now it's at the end of his life and this guy named Moses, now he's at the end of his life and God comes to him and says, hey, I tell you what, you've been faithful, you've been loyal, you've been devoted, but it's time to pass the leadership baton to the next generation. It's time to pass it on to Aaron. And I tell you what, before you do, I'm gonna give you one last shot, one last opportunity to gather my people together and have one more conversation. I mean, like, like this is, this, if you knew that this week was gonna be your last week, if you knew that today was your last day, what would you do with it? Much like Moses. I mean, like God's telling him, this is it. You're done. It's over. The race, you finish the race, you get one more shot. Like, what would you do with it? I'm thinking without even polling the audience, we're not planning out our summer vacation. If you knew this is your last week, you're not going to the grocery store to buy groceries. I think if you knew this is your one last week, we would all say the same thing. And it's, you know, I just want to call my grandkids because there's one more conversation I want to have. I, I just want to get my son home because there's one more thing I need to say to him. And there's, there's just one more story I want to share with my daughter because when our mortality is on the line, we know it all comes down to family. From the very beginning of time in the garden, God has been operating with man through the context of family. We have Adam and Eve, the very first family. This is God's first community all the way to the New Testament. He refers to us as the bride of Christ, right? There's a family there. God is always operating in the context of family because that's what it's all about, is our families. And then this doesn't matter, by the way, this morning, if you are a single person this morning, if you're in your 20s, 30s, and 40s and still aren't married, we're all still part of a family, yes? Now, I know primarily this morning I'm addressing you parents and grandparents, but these three principles that we're gonna look at apply to you guys as teenagers as well. Now, the reason why they're so important is because right now as a teenager, you're, you're writing the first chapter of what your own faith legacy is gonna be. Like, this is why these decisions in middle school, high school, and college are so monumentally important because you're laying the spiritual foundation of what the quality of your life is going to be like for the next 10, 15 years. You know, most people, they stop reading a book by page 50. There was a survey done by the American uh, Library Association, and they asked people, like, why do you stop reading a book? 
And the number one answer was this. It wasn't very compelling. Like, could you imagine at the end of your life, if people look back at your faith story and say, wow, it wasn't very compelling. I mean, for crying out loud, each one of us were dead for eternity and now we're alive in Christ. That's pretty compelling. You know what I'm saying? Like that's a story worth telling. And so this morning, even though I'm addressing you parents and grandparents, these principles apply to you guys also, okay? And so please just tune in with me as well. So now this guy, he's, he's at the end of his life and, and, and he's gonna gather the people together and this is gonna be his, you know, his remember the Titan, his brave heart, his Rocky Balboa moment where he's got one more speech to give. And so it, it, our primary text this morning is in Deuteronomy chapter six, but he starts off in Deuteronomy four. And this is what he says, and Deuteronomy 4, 9, he says, only be careful, be careful and watch yourselves closely. I love this. Like Moses, after 40 years, he's finally figured out how to give a good speech. Like how to actually get, this is a guy that thought he wasn't a good public speaker. We don't know what his problem was. Maybe he had a thick tongue or a speech impediment. I don't know. But remember his argument in the very beginning was, I'm not very good at this, God. And God was like, I got this covered. I'll speak through you. So now at the end of his life, he's finally figured out how to have a good, good speech and how to get their attention. And he does it by saying, watch out. Just like he's really doing the same thing that you guys do with your kids when you're trying to get their attention, right? Like what, what is your name? Blaine, right? And so what does your mom do? She's like, Blaine, 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 Blaine. She even gets down on your face, doesn't she? She puts her hands like, look at me, look at me right here. Like, like, because that's what you have to do with your kids, right? Because they've always got some screen in front of their eyes. So you're like, look at me, look at me, look at me. And that's what Moses is doing. Is Moses is saying, watch out, pay attention. Don't miss this. But he says, don't forget the things that your eyes have seen. And don't let them slip from your heart as long as you live, but teach them to your children and to your children after them. Don't forget the things that your eyes have seen. Now remember, when they left out of Egypt, these people he's speaking to, they were all little kids, right? Now it's been 40 years. And what he does, just like we do at the holidays in our family, is he helps them through the rest of chapter four and chapter five, which by the way, wasn't really a chapter. It's just a long speech, right? And so the, the rest of his speech, he helps them to remember the things that their eyes have seen. He begins to just tell stories to help them remember the things that they've seen God do over the last 40 years. It's as if Moses is saying, hey, you remember, don't you? When you were like a five-year-old boy and we, we were lost and didn't know the way to go. I stopped and I prayed and God provided this pillar of fire at night in this cloud during the day because he was trying to teach us that he's our shepherd that guides our way. Hey, you remember that time when you're like an eight-year-old girl and we were starving and didn't have any food? And I stopped and I prayed and God provided this manna from heaven because he was trying to teach us that he's our, he's our, he's our provider. Hey, you remember that time when you're about seven years old and we thought we we're gonna die? And this army was barreling down on us and I stopped and I prayed. And do you see a pattern here, by the way? I stopped and I prayed and all of a sudden God split the sea because he was trying to teach us that he is our deliverer. And he helps them to remember story after story after story of things that their eyes have seen. You know, I, 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 um, I believe that your story is the most powerful spiritual thing that you have at your disposal when it comes to sharing the gospel with others. More important than, than knowing 40 Bible verses, more important than being raised in church your whole life, more important than having a Bible degree or anything else is just you knowing and communicating your story. And your story matters. People, parents, 
grandparents, great-grandparents, please get this. Your children need to know your story. They need to hear your story of the things that God has done throughout your life. And when we get together for the holidays, I used to have to train my children how to engage their grandparents because we don't know how to do this in our culture anymore. We all get together, especially at church. We get together and what happens? The children go over here, the teenagers go over here and you know, everyone goes different places and, and we, we don't have anything to talk about when we get together for, for lunch on Sunday afternoon. And so we had to train our children how to engage their grandparents. I would say to them on the way to my parents' house, I would say, now listen, when you get to Mimi and granddad's house, I want you to leave all the screens in the car because you know what happens, grandma, granddad, right? Your grandkids show up and there's no conversations anymore because now they got a screen in front of their eyes. I would say, just leave all that in the car. And when we go inside, I want you to say, hey, Mimi, what was your favorite Christmas gift when you were my age? Hey, granddad, how did you celebrate Christmas when you're a boy my age? And I would just coach them with questions so that they could share some, my parents could share some stories. And I would legit call my mom on the way. And I would say, mom, I know you're trying to get the potato salad done, but I needed you to take the apron off for 10 minutes and share a story because those stories matter. That's why Moses says, don't forget the things that your eyes have seen and teach them to your children and to your grandchildren. He's not saying take all these verses. All, he's saying take all of your experiences of when God showed up and share them with your children and your grandchildren. I remember um, my dad and mom throughout the years when we would get together at the holidays, uh, all of a sudden my dad would just start sharing a story growing up in a sharecropper family in Arkansas. And he, he, he remembers the only gifts he ever got for Christmas until he was 16 years old was an apple and a candy cane. Like they were that poor. And, and he would just share all these stories. And every time he would share stories, I would pull out my phone and just hit record. And I've got all of these audio recordings of my mom and dad over the years just sharing stories of them growing up and them discovering God for the first time and when they gave their life to Jesus for the first time. And I've got all these stories recorded. Well, about eight years ago, I got a phone call at 5.30 a.m. from a 911 operator. And she said, are, are you Brian? And I said, yes. And she said, you need to get to your parents' house. Immediately, there's been an emergency. So I get in my car and my wife said, where are you going? And I said, I think my dad's gone. You know, I didn't know for sure, but it's just one of those things that the Holy Spirit starts preparing you for to walk into death. And so on the way to my parents' house, my mom called and said, we're almost at the hospital. Just come meet us there. It's about 45 minutes away. And once I get there, the family's all in the waiting room. And I walk back into the ER and my, my father's body is laying there. He has already gone to glory. And my very first thought when I saw him there was this, there will be no more stories. The time for sharing stories is over. Now we just have memories. And I implore you with the time that you have, use it wisely to share your stories, your spiritual legacy with your children and your grandchildren. And he says, take them and share them with your children and grandchildren. Remember when they came out of Egypt, they were little kids and then grew up to become parents and grandparents. And now he's saying, share these truths with your children and grandchildren. He's talking about five generations, five generations that are changed for eternity when you simply share your story. When you grow up and you see Jesus and you become a parent and grandparent and share it with your kids and grandkids, five generations are changed by sharing your story. Well, then Moses, he really gets to the crux of his passage this morning we're going to be looking at. It's in Deuteronomy chapter 6, and this is how he starts off. I'm going to read the whole thing, and we're going to go back through it together. 
He says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your strength. These commands that I give you today are to be upon your heart. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. The first principle is this we see in this passage. If you want to leave a spiritual legacy in your family is that you must connect your heart to God's heart before you try to lead anyone else. Before you try to change anybody else, you got to connect your own heart to God's heart. And Moses describes it this way in that verse five. He says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength. These commands I give you today are to be upon your heart. He keeps coming back to that heart, doesn't he? Much like Jesus does. Right When he talks about our treasures and where we store our treasures. Matter of fact, Jesus is even asked, what's the greatest commandment? And what does he respond by saying? Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your strength. He's quoting from Moses, who's getting this from the Holy Spirit, by the way. And so we see from, from beginning to the end, Old Testament to New Testament, it's just simply this, love God. Just fall in love with him. And I love it that Moses is almost using this poetic language when he says, love God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your strength. It's kind of like as if someone is saying to Moses, hey, Moses, what does it mean to love God? And he's like, I don't know. How do I define love? Just love him with all of your heart and, and all of your strength. It, it's, it's, uh, let me ask you this. Uh, you, you, you got Jim, right? Jim, and, and what is your bride's name? Margaret, how long have you guys been married? 50 years? Holy smokes, Jim, you're doing the rest of the service. Come on up here. <laughs> Man, so 50, 51 years ago, something you stood before some preacher guy and he said, do you love this woman? And you were like, oh, with my whole heart. He was crazy. Yes, do we agree? He had no idea what he was talking about. Yes, but he thought he loved her with his whole heart. Yes, and could we agree that like 25 years later into this whole journey, you're thinking, oh, wow, I really didn't understand a level about love back then, but I understand so much more now. And now 50 years into it, you even know a whole lot more than you did back then. Or at least you hope you do. he does, right? Exactly, right. And the point is this, is that when we start off in a relationship and marriage, we think we know what love is. But then when we get into it, we learn so much more. Yes? And that's what Moses is saying. Is He's saying, just go love God to the extent that you understand what it means to love God. So for instance, let's say that you came in this room a couple of months ago and you heard Harley, which by the way, what an what unbelievable name, you know? So Harley, so maybe you heard the gospel for the first time and you gave your life to Jesus and boom, you became a new creation. So guess what? You get to love God two months worth because that's all you know. But there's a lot of you in here that you've been faithfully following him for decades, yes? So there's a whole different bar of expectation for us because you know so much more about what it means for God's provision in your life, God's faithfulness to you, God's service to you, his sacrifice to you. So there's a whole nother expectation of what it means for you to love him with your whole heart. Do you see this? This is what Moses is saying. Is he saying just whatever you understand, however much you understand what it means to love him, go love him that way. We have to connect our heart to God's heart first. You know, my wife, she's, um, she's way better at this than I am, mainly because women are smarter than men. And, and uh, she knows that if she's gonna connect her heart to God's heart, it was gonna have to be in the morning before the kids ever got up. Because moms, you know this, once the kids get up, it's all bets off, you have any quiet time to yourself. Like, I mean, it doesn't matter if it's God time or not, you, don't have, you got no time to yourself. And so my, 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 she would get up and her habit was to get up at like, you know, 7 a.m. before the kids got up and she would go, she loves connecting with God outside in nature. 
So she would go outside in the hammock at our backyard with her Bible. And then my habit, I, was, I would get up later with coffee and go take her coffee outside. So one day my kids were about four and six years old at the time. And my son comes in and he goes, dad, I can't find mom. I don't know where mom is. Have you seen her? And uh, my daughter goes, Bailey, don't you know mom is outside spending time with God? Now there's only one way that this four-year-old would know that her mother is outside spending time with God without ever looking. And it's because she caught her so many times spending time with God. Because my wife knew that there's no way that she can serve our family. There's no way that she can love her friends and love our neighbors unless she connects her heart to God's heart first. And it's one of those things that we talk about it all the time in the church, don't we? The importance of a quiet time or priority time or you know, just a few minutes with God kind of time. And, and, and I think sometimes we make it so hard. We're like, for the tomorrow, I want you to start off spending 30 minutes with God. We should just label that a fail right there because that's not gonna happen, you know? Let's just be honest. But what if tomorrow, what if tomorrow we just took 60 seconds? Like tomorrow morning, when your alarm clock goes off, which is by this, by the way, when the alarm clock goes off, instead of the first thing that we do is open up Fox News or CNN or Rachel Ray recipes or ESPN scores, maybe instead, before we open up our phones, before we ever get our feet out of bed, we just pause for a second and say, God, I, I gotta go to school today. And I gotta interact with some people in the hallways. And honestly, I, I really don't like them very much. Could you just help me love them the way that you love them, God? Hey, I, I gotta go to work today and I gotta go to this meeting and I, I really don't enjoy sitting in these meetings. And God, would you just give me your spirit today? Would you just help me to love people the way that you love them? Look at them, speak to them, touch them the way that you would do so. I just wanna be available, God, at the beginning of my day, my day to see what you got in store for me. I wonder just in that one minute, how our lives might be different. You know, they actually started off in, in uh, the verse before this, at, at the, uh, in, in chapter six, there's a prayer called the Shema. It says, Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echah. It means, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And what happens is every morning, Jewish families, even to today, it's one of the two most important prayers for Jewish families. And what happens is in the mornings, before they ever get their kids out of bed, they would gather together and pray the Shema as a way of committing their day to the Lord. And at the end of the day, you'd go about the marketplace and your school and your jobs. And at the end of the day, you would gather your kids together, brush your teeth, read some Dr. Seuss books, pray, and you would pray the Shema at the end of the day. You would bookend your day, beginning it and ending it with prayer as a Jewish family. I wonder, I just wonder what might happen in our families if they were bookended with just a moment of prayer. We start our days off very differently, don't we? With a very different God. We start our days off with social media. We end our days with social media, don't we? I mean, it's like a very different God, which by the way, I'm not talking about the God of social media. I'm talking about the God of narcissism, the God of self. Like we've become worshipers of ourselves instead of connecting our heart in humility to God's heart. Well, then Moses, he gets to the second principle. And the second principle is this. If we're gonna lead our, uh, leave a spiritual legacy, we have to lead our children to connect their heart to God's heart. Once we've connected our heart to God, then we can lead our children and grandchildren to connect their heart. Then we can lead our peers at school to understand the gospel once our heart is connected to God. And Moses describes it this way in the next verse, in verse six. He says, take these truths, these truths that you've experienced, the things that you've seen of God, the things that he's told us. And he says, impress these truths upon your children. That word impress in the Hebrew, it literally means to brand or to tattoo. 
It means to make an indelible, irremovable mark, something that can never be changed. Think about this, you know, let's say that we got some cattlemen and he comes in here and he's got 200 heads of calves, these little calves, and he's gonna bring them in and he's got a branding iron. He's gonna heat up red hot and he puts it on the backside of each one of those calves. What does that brand represent? Ownership, exactly. I realize you're Church of Christ, but you can talk out loud with me. It's okay, yes. It, it represents ownership, right? So what that means is that this day forward, anytime we see one of those calves, we know the calf's identity. We know its owner. He determines where it's gonna sleep, when it's gonna eat, where it's gonna roam, because he owns it. He is the calf's identity. Do you see this? That's what it means to make an a mark, to impress the truths of God upon our children. Moses is saying that we should should be talking about the truths of God to such an extent that he becomes our children's identity. I mean, consider this. We know this. I mentioned this to you yesterday in the conference, is that about roughly 85% of all the media in the life of an adolescent girl and the life of a teenage girl. That means every website that she scrolls through, every fashion magazine that she looks at, every program on Netflix, every advertisement in front of her eyes, over 85% of it is telling our daughters that they're not blonde enough, skinny enough, tall enough, and buxom enough. Basically, our culture is telling our daughters the way that God made you is not good enough. Instead, we need to spend $14 billion a year on makeup, don't misunderstand me. I'm not against makeup, by the way. But can we agree, makeup doesn't determine your identity or self-worth. But what we do is we buy these things because we believe the lie from culture that the way that we're made is not good enough. Like, listen, let me, let me just talk to you for a second. What is your name, sweetie? Lauren, Lauren. I'm not trying to single you out, but you know, you're right here in front of me, okay? That's what you get for sitting on the second row. Lauren, I have a daughter very much like you, right? And, and um, since the time that my daughter was born and my son was born, we had a life verse for them. My son's life verse was, uh, be strong and courageous. It was on his bedroom door. My daughter's life verse that we've been praying over her since she was born was, you're fearfully and wonderfully made. We've said it over her every night of her life. Since she was born, we would pray a prayer over her at night together. And then my wife would say, don't forget, sweetie, you're fearfully and wonderfully made. Matter of fact, by the time she got to be a teenager, sometimes my wife would say, oh, sweetie, don't forget. And she'd go, I know, mom, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. You know, because we said it so often. But Lauren, let me tell you what that means. In Psalms, when it says that you're fearfully made, that literally means that you're made with a sense of, that you're made with a sense of awe. It means when God was knitting you in your mother's womb, all of heaven was standing there watching, going, wow, this one's going to be amazing. She's going to be awesome, Father. She's going to have part of you in her. That's what was happening to every one of our sons and daughters. So how dare the culture tell our kids that they need something else to make them valuable, to make them of worth? Yes, when God says that you've been made with fear and wonder and a sense of awe, when the culture all of a sudden, see, this is why, this is why our daughters need this from us fathers, that they need to tell, we need to be telling them the value of a woman, the dignity of a woman. So all of a sudden, when some 16-year-old boy comes to your 14-year-old daughter and says, hey, I love you and you love me, 
So, you know, we can do this. This is what love is. That she had better have the wherewithal to say, uh-uh, I don't need what you're pitching at me because I know what love is. Because my dad has been walking with me, my mom walking with me my whole life to understand what love is, to understand who I am. And I don't need what you're pitching at me. All of a sudden, when the culture comes to our sons, we have to impress the truths of God upon our sons to help them understand what it means to really be a man. So when the culture says, oh, you want to be a man? You need a football. You need a pickup truck. You need a gun. You need a girl. You need some porn. Which, by the way, I'm not against pickup trucks or guns or football. But none of those things make you a man. My son is an introvert who doesn't play sports, but he loves Jesus. He loves his, his sister and he loves us. As far as I'm concerned, he's a man of man. I mean, he, he's got it. You know, and so all of a sudden, when the culture you know, says things to our sons, like, hey, it's just pictures. It's not that big a deal. No one's really getting hurt. Everyone looks at porn. Over 87% of all adolescent boys admit to struggling with porn. Over 55% of all married men admit to struggling with porn. I think it's one of the biggest issues we're not talking about in our churches. And so all of a sudden, the culture says, it's no big deal. Guys, this is why we need moms and dads to share our stories of redemption, to help our sons understand what this means. And what it means to be a man, what it means to be a woman. You know, we, when all of a sudden the guys start coming to our daughters and saying, hey, I love you and you love me, so I need you to send me a good picture of yourself. Yeah, our daughters have the, self, the, the, the self-respect to say, no, 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 I don't need this because I know what a woman is. Do you know why we need a hashtag MeToo movement? This is not a political statement. It's a theological one because we're raising a generation of young men that don't know how to honor women. It's our jobs as moms and dads to come alongside them and to help them understand their true identity in Christ by impressing his truths upon them. And then he says, it goes on to say this. He says, take these truths, talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. When does it sound like Moses is saying we should be talking about the truths of God? Yeah, all the time. Now listen, just so you don't beat your son up with the Bible, he's not saying that every conversation is about Jesus, all right? I think what he's talking about there is this idea of teachable moments. These moments that we have every single day with our kids that come and then disappear just like that. They don't stick around very long. They're not long conversations. They're just moments that come about throughout the day that we get an opportunity to share spiritual truth with our children and grandchildren. For instance, my, my, my son, my kids, when we were younger, we used to um, homeschool because we were trying to raise weirdos. And um, I'm just kidding. If you're, in a, if you're homeschooled, you got to have thick skin. You know what I'm saying? You know? But my son was homeschooled K through 12 and graduated with a $100,000 scholarship. So yay, raw nerds. That's what I'm saying. So um, anyway, my, um, we, were, we were homeschooling and sometimes we'd go to the mall and play because they have furniture and you could jump on for free. And um, so we go to the mall and uh, every once in a while, I would say to my children, when we're walking through the mall, I would say to them, oh, I like your shoes today. And if I said that phrase to them, that was a code to my kids that they're supposed to look down at their feet as we're walking through the mall. Again, we were trying to raise weirdos, Kyle, sorry. But the real reason why I did this is because at our mall, now, I don't know about your mall, but at our mall, there's a woman that has a store and her name is Victoria and um, she has lots of secrets. And um, 
Oh, you, you know what I'm referring to? Yeah. And she loves sharing her secrets with everybody, I tell you. And um, so sometimes as we're walking through the mall, I would say to my kids, I like your shoes. And they would look down to her feet. So we could just avoid her little secrets. You know what I'm saying? And so one day my son was about 11 or 12 years old. And I know this sounds funny, but it really was one of those teachable moments with my son. We're walking through the mall and he's looking at his feet. We go past her little secret shop. We're going up the escalator and there's a vinyl banner advertising this new makeup at her store. And there was nothing inappropriate about the banner. It was just this woman's face, you know, just this bright red lipstick. And I said, Bailey, I want you to look at this. And he looks over and I said, Bailey, do you see those eyes? And he said, yes, sir. I said, do not trust those eyes. I said, those are deceiving eyes. I said, those are what dad would call bedroom eyes. And the only person that should look at you like that is your wife. And if any other woman looks at you like that, it's a trap and you need to run. I said, do you understand? And he goes, yes, sir. And, and then we went and got ice cream because <laughs> that's what you do after awkward moments, right, Kyle? Exactly. Have you had ice cream with your dad yet? You will, I promise. Yeah, and I know it sounds silly, but it's just, you know, I promise before next Sunday, I promise you, God is gonna give you an opportunity for a teachable moment with your kids. You're riding down the, you're riding down the highway, the four-way at the sixth lane out here, and there's gonna be some billboard that you're looking at mom and you're thinking, oh God, please don't let my five-year-old son see that. And then you look in the rearview mirror and he's craning his head to get one last look, you know? And either you can act like you didn't see it or you can you capture that teachable moment and just share some truth really quickly about what it means to honor the Lord with our eyes and what we say and what we speak and what we do with our minds. And then just move on and listen to the song on the radio. Just capture the moment and move on. Just as you walk along the way, you know, meaning through everyday life, including on Sunday, but not just Sunday. You know, I, I, I think it's amazing. I love being here with your church. I've got to spend a lot of time with your staff, with your, your pastor, with Janice, with Robbie. You have some amazing people working with your teenagers, with your children. But I want you to guys to please hear this. It is not their job to disciple your children. It's their job to make you the rock star of your family. They want to elevate your authority as mom and dad and grandparents because we get one, we get a privilege as parents to partner with God to raise our children as we walk along the way to become like Jesus. And as we walk along the way, that doesn't happen for an hour on Sunday afternoon or Sunday mornings. That happens through every day, just taking advantage of conversations as God puts them in front of our path. Listen, you don't need to know everything about the Bible. You don't need to know every Bible verse or the, even the answer to everything that your kids ask you. Just be prepared and be available. A lot of times my kids will ask me things and what's going through my mind is, oh, I do not want to talk about this right now. This is not what was on my mind. But my next thought is this, God, would you just prepare me in the next 20 seconds for whatever word comes out of my mouth will be of you and not of me? Because I don't know how to answer this situation. God, I don't know how to respond to this, but I believe that you do. So will you just prepare me right now in this moment as we're walking along the way, driving down the road, out shopping at the mall, just to have a conversation with my kid. The third principle is this. If we want to leave a spiritual legacy in our families, is we must model the truths of God to our children. Meaning it's one thing to speak truth as we walk along the way, as we lie down and we get up, that we can speak truth to our kids. But now Moses is saying, let's take it to a whole nother level, mom and dad. And let's actually model the truths of God in the way that we live our lives by our own actions. Moses uses this, this uh, word picture in the next verse 
verse nine. He says, take these truths. He says, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Now I know there's some, there's some word pictures, some symbolism in that verse that we don't have time this morning to unpackage. That it meant a lot to them as Hebrews, but really doesn't mean a lot to us. But don't get hung up on those word pictures of, you know, put them on your forehead and your gate and things like that. He's not talking about go to Lifeway and buy a plaque, by the way, and put it on your front door. What he's talking about there is I want you to notice the figures of speech. As he says, tie them, bind them, write them. These are all verbs, yes? What Moses is communicating there is mom and dad, your children are watching your actions. It's basically being able to say to our children, hey, come spend your money like dad because he spends his money like Jesus. Come and love your friends the way mom loves our neighbors because I'm loving them like Jesus. Hey, come and serve others the way that we're serving in our family because we serve like Jesus. The apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, follow me as I follow Jesus. I wonder how many of us could say to our kids, hey, come and live like mom, live like dad because I'm living like Jesus. So our kids are watching. They, 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 our words speak much more, more volumes than, I'm sorry, our actions speak more volumes than our words do to our children and grandchildren. And so Moses is saying, take these truths and put them into action in your families. You know, that maybe, maybe it's just inviting your kids into your own spiritual journey. So you're communicating to your kids that it's not just their spiritual journey and your spiritual journey, but you're on a spiritual journey to follow Jesus together. Maybe on the way home from church today even. Maybe you get in the car and you say to your kids, hey, what did you guys think about that message today? And your kids are gonna go, I, I, I don't know. That's okay, they're, just not, they're not used to you asking. And maybe you respond by going, that was the most amazing message I've ever heard. No, I'm just kidding, you don't say that. <laughs> Yeah, but maybe you just respond by saying, hey, you know when he shared that story, that was so convicting to me. And you just share something that God is teaching you in that moment as you're inviting them into your spiritual journey and you're communicating to your kids that you're still sensitive to the Holy Spirit, that you're still learning as mom and dad. Like my kids, since they were little, I've been communicating to my children that God has put us here not to hoard things. God has put us here to share his blessings with others. And so we've gotten to do things like over the years, um, we sponsored a little boy named Barcelo uh, through Compassion International. It's one of those organizations where you send a, a monthly donation and 90% of it goes to provide an education, clothing and meal, two meals a day for, for Barcelo. We started sponsoring him when he was my daughter, when he was four years old, because it was the same birth month as my daughter. And we thought we could kind of watch them grow up together. So about five years ago, I had to go speak at a conference in Guatemala. This is where Barcelo lives. And so my children, I've been telling them forever. We've been writing letters to Barcelo. We've been communicating with him, sending him gifts over the years. And so I contacted Compassion and said, we're going to Guatemala. Is it possible for us to meet our sponsored child? And they said, well, you know, he lives in a fishing village three hours away. He's never been out of his village. You have to pay for him and his mother and a translator to ride three buses to get there. They have to pay for their hotel overnight and their meals while they're there in Guatemala City. And I'm like, well, how much is that gonna cost? And she said, $87.50. I was like, that's a meal, two meals for my family at dinner. You know, like a movie and a movie and a, for, for four of us and a meal. I was like, a life-changing experience? My kids, they've gotten to go all over the world for me, but yeah, I would say their favorite trip was getting to visit Barcelo because they're getting to see the fruit of their labor 
of being able to sponsor this boy for the last 10 years and now getting to see what God's been doing in his life. That's inviting your kids, your whole family on a spiritual journey together. My kids, I've been telling them since they were wee little bitty things that dad does not take care of our family, that God takes care of our family. God provides for our family. Dad is just gonna be faithful to use my gifts, put my gifts into action, and then God is the one that will bless us and provide that you should be communicating the same thing to your children so they don't learn to rely on mom and dad, but they learn to rely on the Lord instead. And so I remember when my kids were, um, they were two and four at the time. It was 16, uh, 15 years ago and I was serving on a church staff doing what Janice and Robbie does. I was a teaching pastor to church and just felt like the Lord was saying, you're done and I want you to quit. So we had no healthcare, no retirement, no salary, nothing. I just quit my job at the church. And I don't think it's because it's like to some, amazing faith. I was just trying to be obedient. So I stepped out and it was in June of 2004. And uh, we sat down the first week of December that year. And my kids were two and four. And we said, hey guys, this Christmas is going to be a little bit different because God is just asking us to trust him on this new journey. And you'll still get presents from Mimi and granddad and grandma and papa, but there's not going to be, you know, that's not going to happen here at our house. Does that make sense? And they were like, oh, okay. Well, they're two and four. You know, they don't really understand. And you, you can probably even just feel the weight of this as I share it. Because we bought the lie as mom and dad that it's our responsibility as American parents to provide a bounty at Christmas for our kids. And so I'm feeling this a little bit of shame. And so we told no one the story except a two-year-old and a four-year-old. The next day was Sunday. We went to church. We pulled up in our, our driveway after the services were over. And there's a gigantic bag sitting on our front doorstep. And inside it was four gifts for my son and four for my daughter. And because God loves showing off, there's one for me and one for my wife. And I said to my two-year-old and a four-year-old, daddy didn't do this. Santa Claus didn't do this. God did this because he's a good, good father. And you can trust him with your life. About six years, seven years later, I was booked to speak at five camps all across the South. Now, see, you can appreciate this because, you know, you're, you're not quite South, but you're kind of South-ish, you know what I'm saying? But when you live in the armpit of Hades in Memphis, Tennessee, you know, then you know what humidity is. And so I had to speak at five church camps uh, across the summer all in a row, and the air conditioner broke in our family minivan. It had about 300,000 miles on it, so it was about ready to go anyway. And uh, my kids were uh, eight and 10 at the time, and we got in the van and, and we had no air conditioner. It was going to cost $2,200 to fix it. We had less than $500 in the bank account. And I just said, God, we're not going to take a loan. We've been debt free our whole life. We're not going to live in debt just to get air conditioning. We're just going to trust you. So we get in the van and the last day of the first camp, this man walks up to me who I'd never met before. And he says, so this morning I was walking around outside having a quiet time and God led me uh, to this van outside. And he goes, is that your van? I said, well, yeah, it is. He goes, this may sound crazy, but I think God wants you to have my van. And I said, that doesn't sound crazy at all. <laughs> I said, I think you clearly heard from God. I, and he literally hands me Kyle the keys and the title to his van. It was, he's a, he was a bank president who was there volunteering for the week. It was a year and a half, like leather seats, DVD player, electric. I would never buy a car like this. And I said to my kids, dad didn't earn this. Dad, God did this because he's a good, good father that you can trust. 
Then a few years later, last story, my daughter was in eighth grade and she was getting ready to start high school. And she said, I'm tired of being a weirdo. I wanna go to a regular school. She didn't really say that, but that's what I heard. And, and she said, I wanna go to a regular school. And we said, where would you like to go? And she wanted to go to this private Christian school that's a mile from our house called Evangelical Christian School. Costs $20,000 a year to go to this school. And I said to my daughter, sweetie, if they gave us an 80% scholarship, we couldn't pay the rest. But your whole life, I've told you that dad doesn't provide, God provides. So if you think that's where he wants you to go, let's just start praying. It was so cool to hear my eighth grade daughter every morning in our family prayer time, just praying the sweetest prayers of, God, I'm not trying to be selfish, but if you could do this, I would really love this opportunity. And so one day, long story short, this man contacts me on LinkedIn, the social media, and says, hey, my wife and I've heard you preach in several different churches, and we'd love to be part of your ministry. If you ever have time to get together, I'd love to have coffee with you. Well, I've been doing this long enough to know that that's code for, I'd like to give you some money. So I said, I responded back and said, I can meet you in 15 minutes. <clears throat> Which by the way, if any of you come up after the service and say, I'd like to buy you some coffee, my answer will be yes, all right? So anyway, um, I go and I meet this man for coffee and he starts saying, how did you get started doing this? And I share all these crazy stories. I could stand here until six o'clock at night and share ridiculous stories of things that God has done because we just stepped out to see, we just said yes, just said yes. You know, it's amazing what we do if we're willing to just to say yes as mom and dad and see how God shows up and the things that he will do. My son, he was a, a freshman in college. You know, three years ago, he's a freshman in college and he calls me one night and he had been telling me about his roommate named Zach and that Zach was struggling with his faith. And this went on for several months and Bailey's kind of updating me along the way about his roommate, Zach, and struggling with faith. And all of a sudden my cell phone rings 1230 at night one night. And so I pick up the phone and I'm sitting straight up in bed now. When your kid calls you from college past midnight, it's never good news, all right? And so I'm sitting up in bed and Bailey goes, hey, dad, do you have a minute? Uh, yeah, yes, I do. And um, he says, so I'm sitting here in our living room with Zach, his roommate, and we've been continuing this conversation about salvation. And I've shared with him everything that I know. And Zach just said, is there anybody else that we could talk to? And Bailey said, we can call my dad. He goes, dad, can I talk to you for a minute? Now, he doesn't know it, but I'm on the other end crying because what I'm thinking is he's a grown man. He didn't call his youth pastor. He didn't call his small group leader, his Sunday school teacher. He called me. You're talking about feeling honored. Like that doesn't happen by accident. Like happens through years and years of just laying this foundation of just saying yes to God and now seeing the fruit of it in my kid's life as a grown man. And so back to this guy at the coffee shop and he says, how'd you get started? I'm sharing these stories with you. And I said, now the crazy thing is my daughter wants to go to this ridiculously expensive school. And humanly speaking, it's never gonna happen. But I believe that that's where God wants her. Then that's where she'll be at school next year. And he starts smiling and he says, I have three grown children all in their 20s. We have three grandkids now and all three of my kids and my grandkids went to that school, kindergarten through graduation. And I know the difference a school like that can make in a kid's life. He said, I know we wanna support your ministry, but I wanna do something just for your family. When I leave here, I'm gonna go by the school and I'm gonna pay for your daughter's tuition. Like this man I had never met before is changing my kid's life. And I was able to go home to my daughter and say, sweetie, I would never be able to do this for you. 
But God is a good, good father. And he loves showing off in your life if you'll just say yes. And I know some of you guys are thinking, well, you know, that's never happened to me before. You know, I lost my job and I haven't recovered yet or my family's struggling. We haven't recovered yet. You know why? Because it's not your story. It's my story. But you have a story and your grandkids need to know your story. Your kids need to know your story. We just need to take some time today and just turn the screens off and just share some stories about the goodness of God with our kids and grandkids. Write some letters to your prodigals that are far away and just send them to them and tell them what God's continuing to do in your life and his faithfulness to your family. And could we just, could we just allow ourselves to say yes to God and see what he does? I think sometimes we, we just need those catalytic moments, those defining moments that have happened with my kids throughout their life where they've seen God show up and show off and do things that have changed my kids for eternity. And sometimes we just don't take time to allow God to show up in those unexpected moments. You know, this, this morning, I'm gonna give you an opportunity, your whole church, an opportunity for one of those defining moments with your families, for God potentially to show up right now. I, I know that we normally respond by a, a gospel response, a prayer response, and we're gonna, we're gonna do something a little bit differently this morning. Kyle's going to come and just lead us in a chorus. And as he does, I'm gonna ask that if you are in sixth through 12th grade, for you to come and join me right down the front here with your parents, all right? And I wanna make sure, you go ahead and come on, Kyle. I wanna make sure that, if, that everyone, even if you're a teenager here and you don't have a parent here, that we got someone that can be down here with you this morning, okay? And it's gonna require, in just a moment, it's gonna require all of our participation, Okay? So just go with me. Teenagers, I promise I'm not going to embarrass you. You're not going to stand on one foot and sing a song or anything like that. But just as Kyle leads us, would, would you guys, teenagers and your parents, just go ahead and kind of join me down front here? Bind us together, Lord. Bind us together with cords that cannot be broken. Oh, you're right here. Bind us you guys just go ahead and come on down. You got spread out. Now over here, we got some space. Bind us together with love. We got a lot of space there on this side over here. There is only one God. There is only one key. You guys way over there. Can you move in over there here a little bit so we can see you guys? Only one body you guys way over here. Kind of move in this over here, the spot over here. That you guys just kind of move in over here. Can see All right. Thank you guys. Now this is not high school graduation, so you don't have to turn and face the audience. Now, if you guys way over there, you can kind of come in and move in this space over here, just so we can all kind of see each other. Uh, you guys just came up on the stage, didn't you? Just took, took over, didn't you? Wow. So, um, so here's the deal. Um, I, this is going to require all of our participation, okay? So in just a moment, we're going we're gonna to do something, and you'll know when it's your time, okay? And I'll even clue you in. And while it is, it's your time, this is what I want you to do. I want you to turn and join hands. If your spouse is here with you, maybe join hands with your spouse. If you're here, there's a family sitting next to you, just turn next to them. And I want all of us together to be praying out loud. We're going to get charismatic, okay? We're going to all pray out loud over what God's going to do in this moment here in just a second, okay? You with me? So what are you going to do in just a minute? Pray. All right, so I'm done with you guys. Now let me talk to you guys up here. Could you, you teenagers, just bow your heads for a minute and let me talk to your moms and dads and you parents, just turn and look at me here. Moms and dads, can we agree together 
that this person standing next to you, you love them beyond your ability to even communicate it to them. Don't you find yourself sometimes just in awe over them? Like they're just walking through the living room. Even sometimes at night, you get up and you just go see them sleeping. Like, Like our teenagers don't know this, but we still watch them sleep, don't you? Because you're just in awe of them. Like you're like, I can't believe I get to live life with this person. I mean, what a gift. But could, could we also agree? Sometimes they'd make you pull your hair out, don't they? Like, like literally, it's gone. Yes. And, and here's the deal. Sometimes our teenagers make mistakes. And I think the majority of time they make mistakes, they're not trying to embarrass you. They're not even trying to defy you. I think most of the time, they're just trying to figure out how life works. And so they end up making mistakes sometimes. Sometimes they do foolish things just like we did as teenagers. Now, I'm not excusing bad behavior or poor choices, but I think one of the greatest gifts that you can give your teenager is just the gift of grace. The gift of just two words, I understand. It's not saying that there's not gonna be consequences. It's just saying, I get it. I know what you're going through. There was a a concept in the Old Testament called a blessing. And what happened was in, in, in a child's life around 12, 13, 14 years old, the whole family would gather together and they would speak words of affirmation into that 12 to 14 year old. And then they would lay hands on them and just pray a blessing over them, which is basically saying, you know, to your child, every teenager, your kid is dying to hear a blessing from you. Matter of fact, there's some of us in this room right now as grownups that still have a nagging achingness in our hearts because we never got the blessing from our own parents. And this morning, I want to give you an opportunity to give that blessing to your teenager. Listen, it's basically just saying to your teenager, I don't care where you go and what you do, I've got your back. I am with you through thick and thin. It's just you you just lifting up your name, I mean, your child's name to the father, letting them hear you out loud, tell God what a joy it is that you get to spend life with them. So listen, I'm gonna ask you to pray out loud Lay hands and pray out loud over your teenager. Some of you may be thinking, you know, I'm just not a pray out loud kind of person. Well, you know, I'm the guest and I'm leaving soon, so I really don't care. I'm asking you to do this, okay? And I'm asking you to do it, not for my sake or for your sake. I'm asking you to do it for your kid's sake so your kid can hear your mom's voice, dad's voice telling God just what you appreciate and what you think about them. You don't have to pray long. You don't have to pray eloquently. Just let your kid hear you pray. Now listen, while you're laying your hands on your kids and you're praying for them, we are all joining in as a chorus to pray for you and your family, okay? So I'm gonna be quiet now. We're gonna give you just a moment to lay hands and pray over your teenager. And then you guys, would you now pray over them as your families as well? Father, we thank you for these teenagers, for this next generation of church leaders down front here for this next generation of men and women that are gonna be faithfully following you. God, we just pray for them that tomorrow as they go to school, their schools would be different. I pray that their sports teams would be different. Their after-school jobs would be different because your spirit is there with them. God, we ask that you would protect their hearts and their minds. God, they would just hear your voice being louder than all the other voices in their life. God, we pray that just in the coming days as moms and dads, we could just stand in awe 
over watching what you are doing in the lives of our sons and the daughters. God, we thank you for this privilege, this joy that you've given us to live life together. God, we just pray for this church here at Lawton. God, that you would use these teenagers in this room to be the next generation of decision makers and leaders and teachers and small group leaders here in this church, that this church would flourish, that it would be an even brighter, more beautiful bride for you than it's ever been before because of what you wanna do in the lives of these teenagers. I pray this for your name and for your fame, Jesus. Amen. Thank you, guys. You can go back to your seats now as you do. I thank you guys for the privilege of being here with you this weekend. And I uh, just invite you to have your, make sure that your teenagers come out tonight at five o'clock here as we're gonna be talking about my wired life with them.